Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Jeremy Smith. Didn't we just have an international break? I suppose there's no rest for the wicked, but how did Les Bleus get on, and how will they do in their upcoming Nations League game? And uh, who's this young upstart heading to Monaco? All of that and more after your latest headlines. Kylian Mbappe was needed to save France's blushes as they came from behind to draw 2-2 with Iceland on Thursday night. The youngster was involved in both goals after Birkir Bjarnsson and Karl Arnardsson gave the Scandinavian sides a comfortable lead. Le Bleu returned to competitive action on Tuesday as they take on Germany with a chance to take a strong hold of the top of the group after Die Mannschaft lost 3-0 to the Netherlands last night. In Liga, Monaco have ousted Leonardo Jardim by somewhat mutual consent and have appointed former player <laughs> Thierry Henry. It's the World Cup winner's first managerial role as he looks to lift the Monegasque away from the drop zone. In European news, UEFA are looking into suspicious betting patterns for the game between Paris Saint-Germain and Red Star Belgrade. The LFP have stated their support for the French champions, but it is believed that the investigation is centralised on suspicious activity on the Serbian club's side. And finally, the LFP have also announced this week that its share of its money earned by France winning the World Cup will go to the 12 D1 Women's clubs it's an excellent gesture from the two and the lfp president natalie boyd de la tour said it's a symbolic link between the two world cups for the first time the lfp will directly aid the 12 women's one clubs it's as france prepare to host the 2009 women's world cup next year and that's all for now but to keep up to date with all the news in the world of french football head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on twitter at gffn we start this week where else but with les bleus who had a pretty disappointing thursday night in the end with a 2-2 draw against iceland which as world champions doesn't feel the greatest despite um, I'm sure the Scandinavians will be happy to have given a, a little bit of a one-up after the European Championships two years ago but Jess what did you think to Didier Deschamps' men's performance they, they had a couple of changes in there a couple of uh, players that we didn't quite necessarily expect starting like of Florian Tovan but they again they were very much like the France side we saw before the World Cup which was sometimes underwhelming yeah, I, I think it's probably, you know, it's, it's some of the justifications coming out of, out of the France squad after the match were that, you know, coming off the World Cup, uh, the two matches after that, Germany is a big match, Netherlands is, um, I mean, I guess anyway, a big match, but it was the sort of the big homecoming and, and post-World Cup celebration. Uh, and there's kind of an argument for saying, you know, with all these matches, this is the one that, it's difficult to, to kind of get up for, and some people are saying, you know, the, the, the sort of the supporters of the Nations League have been saying, well, this is the kind of match that just proves that we do need something like the Nations League because there really isn't any kind of interest in friendlies anymore. But I think that's a little bit of kidology. There were a lot of um, non-French starters who. Um, who really in this match had the chance to 
not necessarily stake a claim to to be to, to replace people in the starting eleven, but certainly you know absolutely secure their place in the squad and and be there or thereabouts should any injuries come up. And so it, from that point of view, I mean that I think is what friendlies are about. It's about the coach having a chance, you know, obviously in, in international get-togethers, you don't have that, that much opportunity to experiment. But these friendlies are a chance for the coach to to experiment with different formations and different players. So it really was a good opportunity for quite a few um, of, of France's either reserves or members of the squad who don't get that much of a look-in to, to stake a bit of a better claim. And frankly, pretty much all of them failed the test. And it, it came down to a couple of regulars, Loris and Goal, who was excellent all match, maybe a tiny bit of fault for the first goal, but I think he was on site and um Mbappe when he came on to, to change it a bit. But yeah, I think overall whatever the squad said after the match, I think they've got to be disappointed that you know you'd hope that certain players who've been knocking on the door for a while would have really taken their opportunity. And frankly the only non regular who, who really staked to Kate playing um was Ndombele on his debut. Um, he's the only one that that isn't a, a regular certainty as a starter who, who did anything to, to make Deschamps think again. And that's the interesting part in this one because Iceland, we know as a team now, are, are tough to face. Rich, they they had a great European Championships. They were decent at the World Cup, although they obviously fell at the the first hurdle. They're much tougher than you may have said maybe five, six years ago, really. So it's not an embarrassment, really, to be drawing against a side like this. But at the same time, as Jess mentioned, really, that it's disappointing to see players like uh, Presno Kimpembe and Zonzi was another one in here. Florian Tovan, Usman Dembele, players that didn't quite get as much of a looking at the World Cup and haven't since then either in the Nations League games that happened in the previous um, the previous rounds of uh, international fixtures. Is it disappointing that this second string aren't quite really pushing themselves to to oust some of these favourites of, of Deschamps and that uh, looking ahead really to the game on Tuesday night that They've not really pushed themselves, and it looks like Deschamps maybe goes with a, a more familiar lineup. Yeah, I mean, with the with the introduction of the Nations League, it obviously limits the amount of you know quote unquote meaningless friendlies that we've got, and and they're few and far between now. So a game like like we saw on on the, on Thursday against Iceland is that perfect opportunity for the likes of of Kimpembe, Tovan, Dembele, who are not you know they're regulars in their squad. But they're not regular first team players for for Deschamps, so it's it's the perfect opportunity for them to go out, put in that performance. That says, actually, you know what, boss, you really need to be considering me. I'm a you know great great that I'm, I'm called up, but I want to be pushing for a starting position. And as Jess said, really none of them did themselves any favours. You know, I think both goals are, are, are attributable to, to mistakes from Kimpembe. Very, very soft defending on his part. Not what we're used to, um, really, from him, from his time with PSG. But, yeah, Tovan really struggled to, to see much of the ball. And when he did, didn't really do a great deal with it. Um, I don't think Luca Dean necessarily did a great deal um, at left back. Uh, Dembele continues to sort of frustrate at international level. We've... We've seen what a sort of solid start he's made to the season with Barcelona. Um, and he's just struggling to sort of bring that through to the national team. 
Um, very interesting piece today. I think it was in Le Keep. Um, sort of Dembele, the big sort of question mark. Um, so, but he's not the only one. He isn't the only one. You know, Florian Tovan is another prime example. You know, he's he's having another uh, another solid start to off the back of what was an excellent season last season. And he's another that, okay, he's not given as many opportunities, I don't think, as Dembele, but really struggles to, to uh, make that impression when he's given the chance. So it's it's disappointing. Um, I, you know, positives are few and far between to take from the game. Um, again, as Jay said, and Dombele, you know, we know what a great player he is. Um, he's he's I think after a slow start to the this season, he's found his form again. Um, you know, he 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 certainly made a difference when he came on um, sort of midway through the second half, um, and obviously it just re-emphasizes just how important Mbappe is to this team because. Ultimately, it's it, he was the game changer. Um, you know, France were really struggling without him. He came on all of a sudden. There's the energy. There's the pace. There's the running at the the Arsenal defenders. They look scared. They were backing off him. They were forced into giving him space, and he made them pay. You know, it was a it was an excellent shot, which slightly fortuitous with the um, with the contribution from the Icelandic goalkeeper for the first goal. And then, you know, stoppage time, penalty, cool as you like to convert that. Um, it just it re-emphasises what I'm fairly certain we all knew anyway is just how important Mbappe is to this team and will be for for the foreseeable future. So not a huge amount of positives to take from the game. Um, it, it's certainly going to be a, a disappointment on the part of, of those fringe players um, because it's a question of, you know how many opportunities are they going to get? Um, you know I don't see many of those those fringe players who started on Thursday. I don't see many of them starting starting on uh, on Tuesday against Germany. And that's where the focus shifts to at least because despite obviously maybe a bit of disappointment, Jez, obviously with the result and and somewhat of the performance as well against uh, Iceland. At the same time, the important stuff is is that at the moment the Nations League results and they've got a great opportunity more than anything now really with the result that happened last night with the Netherlands really trouncing Germany. And I know there's a lot of... uh, a bit of a shock and awe, but a number of places that Germany really surrendered that one so easily. And it gives France a great opportunity to pretty much knock um, Germany away from them. And then it'd be a straight fight against the Netherlands, which you, you would pretty much fancy Libler with at least. So heading into t- uh, Tuesday night, it's a great opportunity for Deschamps to, to book pretty much at least book their spot into uh, the Nations League final. Yeah, it's a great chance kind of expected that you'd see a reaction from Germany after the World Cup. You know, no one disputes it. They're still a very talented squad and and um, it happens that you know it's happened a lot to, to defending champions in the last five or six tournaments. So they, you'd have thought coming off the back of the World Cup Germany would kind of reassert themselves as one of the um, sort of handful of best teams in the world, but it hasn't happened yet. And you know it still seems that there is quite a lot of disarray in the camp. So, you know, coming to Paris, certainly put France down as favourites. And as you said, it's a great chance for them to, um, you know, certainly that builds an unassailable lead over over Germany. And then um, I think we don't you know, leave them only needing a draw at, in the Netherlands to, to be certain finishing top of, top of their little group. Um, 
it's it's certainly not going to be a straightforward thing. That there still are some issues in the France squad, even if you put in the the sort of number one starting lineup at the moment. You take the, the World Cup final team, firstly, obviously, and TT's not there, and that second position is a problem. And um, you know, if I suppose you'd expect that Kim Pembe would would have been um, in line to start that match, but after his performance last week, I'm really not sure he would be. In which case, what do you do? Do you, do you bring Hernandez into the centre and, and keep Dini left back? As Rich said, he wasn't. I don't think he was as bad as some others, but he certainly got himself in glory on on Thursday night. So there's a couple of issues there. Um, uh, right back, Pavar really hasn't started the season well for for um, for Stuttgart. It's not entirely his fault. The whole team has started badly, but um, you know, so he certainly hasn't looked um, as assured, even though he was playing in his preferred position for Stuttgart. So you know that there are still question marks over certain um, France players as well. But you know, it would be very disappointing um, from a Nations League point of view, but also considering now their status as, as the world champions of France were to, were to lose on, on Tuesday night. And obviously, as I said, considering that Germany aren't exactly in the best position at the moment either. No, this is the thing, Rich. Even though Germany, you know, you can't take them too lightly. They're still a massive team with, with great players. But at the same time... <laughs> very best teams the best teams in history like to you know uh, maybe a bit grotesque saying it but almost stomp on the throat when the when the the victim is kind of down it's a great opportunity for them to do that and if they play the way that they can with the talent they have and, and go gun for leather even at the start of the game they could it's a chance they could blow them out of the water i mean Deschamps does have to kind of go for this one and give it a, a good go. They're at home with a great chance that, I mean, the three points would put them three points above um, the Netherlands as well. And that would mean that, that they would have to lose that game um, heading to Holland in the next sort of fixtures to even um, fathom going out. So such a great opportunity it has to be seized, doesn't it? Well, yeah, no, absolutely does. And and I and I think that will we will see that. Um as as Jez mentioned, both teams I think will be will be look, will be, look, will be looking for a reaction. Um, I think obviously with France coming from a better a better position in terms of needing a reaction, you would say that it's more likely that they're going to see it. Um, you know, they're going to be at home. There's going to be a you know, there's going to be a good atmosphere still. Um, I, I, I'm expecting I am expecting a France win. I think the players that they have to come back into that team. Um, Will will be enough, I think, to see him. I think this is a Germany that that uh, that need to, you know, it almost perhaps goes back to um, after Euro two thousand when they crashed out in, in the group stages and they they sort of had to rebuild from scratch. I think that's that's sort of what we've reached with with Germany. It feels at the moment there's a bit of a obviously after such a horrific World Cup, um, things still aren't right. Um, there's big question marks now over Jurgen Love. So. You wonder, you know, is this a Germany that that doesn't really know its identity at the moment? Um, you know, there's there's players, very senior players, who aren't performing anywhere near the best of their abilities, and but still are, are being in the squad. It's not doesn't feel a particularly happy place at the moment, uh, and so it is really important, as you say, that France look to take advantage of that. You know, we see it. Um, you know, the, the the best teams in the world do that. 
You know, if there's uh, if there's a bit of a weakness, then that's what you target. And at the moment, Germany really just seemed to be lacking in confidence, uh, lacking almost in just general ability. You know, the best players don't seem to be being picked for the team. Um, and, and France really need to take advantage of that. I think they will. Um, I still don't think it's going to be the performance that many I've seen seem to be um, demanding sort of game, every game from France that they, you know, put on this hugely entertaining football that results in, you know, them scoring seven goals and they're, you know, this, this new team that seem to create a new style of wonderful attacking football. That's not what France are here for. That's not what Didier Deschamps is here for. Um, they'll still be very organised, very disciplined. Yeah, they might be playing within themselves slightly, but that's what works for France. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to argue with the people that know best on that. Um, but, yeah, Germany Germany are very much there for the taking at the minute. Losing 3-0 last night would have been a huge blow to them. Um, you know, we know what the relationship between Germany and the Netherlands is like. Certainly on the football pitch, it's not... It's never been the friendliest of uh, of rivalry, so that will have hurt last night. So France do have to be careful on that front, but I just don't see that Germany have enough to cause France serious questions and serious problems on Tuesday. Yeah, it's going to be thoroughly interesting to see how they might try and bounce back, but also how France might do in this. Well, let's get quickly then. I know we usually leave this for the preview show, but we'll get some predictions on this. Jez, what do you think the score will be on Tuesday? Um, I was going to say comfortable 2-0. I'll go for comfortable win in the end, but with a bit of a fight, so I'll say 2-1. Rich? <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to go for. Um, uh, in, order to, in order to be a little different, uh, I'll, I'll be a little more cautious and go 2-1 then. I'll go for the classic 2-0 that Jess was thinking of to start off with. I think that if it just feels like that Germany side are just waiting for the sort of end of an era as it would be with Joachim Löw. It maybe was the wrong decision maybe to, to allow him to stay on and maybe uh, um, France will take advantage of that with the the great prowess they've got, especially with Germany really struggling at the back at the moment as well. Conceding three to the Netherlands, even though they are looking a little bit better, um, the Dutch, but it's, not that much better, at least. Anyway, uh, on to things in Liga, and we've got some big news this week, and that's that uh, Leonardo Jardim has left uh, AS Monaco after winning the league title and several good Champions League runs. He's finally received kind of his marching orders. It was mutual to an extent, but the heading into the door is Thierry Henry. But let's focus on the man that's left first. And Jez, uh, it... it the sort of the the rumor mill, at least anyway, that he was on the brink was happening even before the game uh, last weekend, and it's come to pass. It's a disappointing one in the end. Did, do you think it's the right decision for them to let him go? Um, at first, I didn't. I thought it was crazy of them, but the more that's been coming out about how it just, you know, from from every point of view, from the the sort of directors but also from the players and also from Jardim himself it sounds like possibly his, his time had run its course um, I still think it's it's a bigger risk for, for Monaco the club than anyone else um, I'm sure Jardim would have found um, a way out, out of the, the problems that they're in and um, you know, before we talk about who's, who's replaced him um, I think, in theory, 
the, the project, the Monaco project, the Monaco sort of model of business, I, I don't think that it can work. I don't think it can continue to work in the same way without Jardim because I think he's, he's the only person capable of making it a success. But, you know, from everything coming out, that the, the, the older players that were no longer being sort of motivated by his team talks, the younger players felt that he was a bit distant. Um, you know, even at a couple of press conferences, he's, he's never criticised anything about Monaco. Even though he was sold, when he came in, he was sold a sort of Galactico project and it immediately changed into a, no, you're going to be sort of, you're going to have to kind of be an alchemist and, and you know, make gold out of stone sort of thing. At no point has he ever complained. And just a couple, in a couple of press conferences recently, he has kind of, by his standards, you know, certainly not by, as in a Mourinho standards or something, he has been a little bit flippant, kind of saying that you need 80 goals to, to, to get anywhere in the season. And even if Falcao was to score 20, I just can't see where the other 60 are coming from, that kind of thing. You never heard any kind of comments like that from him in the past. Some people have even read the fact that in the past season he's worn a tracksuit during matches and, and this season he's changed to a suit. People have seen that as sort of some kind of, I don't know, come and get me image change or something like that. Maybe that's reading a little bit too much into it, but it does sound like he possibly wasn't too upset to have, to have sort of been told that maybe his time's up and possibly it was a relief for him. And at least this way, it doesn't, you know, they can all end relatively happy ever after and, and you know, not too much acrimony or before Monaco get in too much trouble. And this is the the difficult bit of it. It's focusing on Jardim himself, really, Rich, on this one. It, it's disappointing to see him leave, having given so much to to Liga, even in his, his short stay. And it, it does feel like if they maybe would have hold on, that he probably could have eventually turned things around. But I I, I remember mentioning earlier this week. This feels a little bit like the Lucian Favre moment at, at Borussia Mönchengladbach. That maybe it was just. Um, a marriage of convenience by this point that maybe he should have tried to seek if, if people were looking at him to, to go in the summer. But maybe even when a job opens up, maybe a brief step back will show again how good of a coach he is, much like Favre again at Nice showed as well and um, show that he's got the quality to manage another big side in Europe because he's shown in the, the last three, four years here in, in France that uh, he's really got... Um, a keen eye for for building a good team yeah and i'm hoping that i'm really hoping he doesn't rush into a job i'm hoping that what we now see is him just take a little step back now for for the rest of the season just to keep it you know allow him to keep an eye on things but just to to sort of clear his mind of of you know what a tough job really he had to do at monaco and actually sort of assess of actually you know what i was really really damn good at it um and unfortunately, the project, you know, it was a tough project as it is to continue to get what he got out of that, that team year in, year out. But then the sort of even tougher conditions that were put on him this summer with with the fact that, you know, those those young players that they've had to bring in were that bit, you know, that bit younger, that bit more inexperienced. Um, it, it, yeah, it was just a project, I think, that just run its course in its current format. So I'm really hoping that he takes a step back and can appreciate the work that he did at Monaco, can really look at what he learnt in himself from that. Um, because I do think that there is a big team 
um, that he is destined to go to. You know, who that big team is, I, I, I don't really know. I know a lot of people um, have been have been talking about him potentially taking over at Manchester United. It feels as though that that actually would be a very good fit. You know, at Monaco, obviously he had the he had the ability to coach and and um, and work with the senior players, but also obviously to to bring through, help identify and help develop those younger players. And that that seems to be exactly what Manchester United are in need for. So it seems as though that that it could be a plausible destination for him. Uh, and we would have to see come the end of the season what what the state of of Manchester United and and Mourinho's relationship is to see whether that that comes to light. But I don't want him to rush into anything. I really, ideally, I wouldn't really like to see him take a job until you know until the summer, um, so that he can really sort of get to grips with 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 the the wider footballing world that that perhaps is a bit more freer that than than it was at, at Monaco. But you know he's been an absolute. Um, gem at, at Monaco, you know, the, the teams and the players that he helped develop. You only have to look at the praise that he's received from players now who've moved on and you sort of forget just how many players he helped turn over at Monaco in, in only three or four years. Um, you know, that championship winning team, you know, that that 11, the, the, the main 11, if you like, that he, he started with in most games, there aren't many more entertaining teams in Ligue 1 than that team. They, you know, they were an absolute joy to watch. Um, you know, it was never going to last beyond the season. Um, but, you know, he's been an absolute credit to, to Monaco. He's been an absolute credit to to, to Ligue 1 in, as, in, in a whole um, and an absolute credit into how you help identify and bring through younger players and, and, and manage them. So I think there's a lot that Monaco can learn from that have, Monaco can learn and have learned from him, but I think also the wider footballing world has a lot to take from Jardine. <laughs> you get you look at, go ahead, go ahead, Jess. No, I was going to say that the way they they all started the season, it's not inconceivable that Man United, Real Madrid, and Bayern could all be looking for new managers at the same time very soon. And you've got to think that he would be near the top of any of those those clubs' shortlists. Exactly what I was going to say, Ches, really, to be fair, because Richard getting me excited, at least, anyway, about the possibility of him taking over. Um, uh, yeah, he's he's been great. And I think we forget that um, in his first couple of years, his, his Monaco side were, if anything, incredibly defensive and, and structurally sound, and he was able to do that. And then he was able to morph it into the, the great entertainers that won the league and title. And even last year, losing... Uh, so many big players. I mean, they lost a lot of big players a couple of years ago before that title win when they obviously lost a few after that great Champions League run. You're thinking Kazawa and Kondogbia and, and the likes of Yannick Ferreira-Carrasco as well. And then, obviously, last summer where they were lost, you know, they lost a, a number of, of big players. Bakayoko, Bappe, obviously, is the, the main headliner in that one. They, they lost so much last summer and still managed to finish second. I know it was by the skin of their teeth, really, by the end of it, but they... they they still managed to go on a great run at the start of the season. I remember it was about eight wins in a row. Again, they, they continued that form on, even though they'd lost so much. Um, it's a great credit to him. And it, they lost a lot of linchpins again this, this summer. Lamar and, and Fabinho and the, the fact that others haven't stepped up has, has caused his head to roll, unfortunately. But the man coming into his uh, shoes is, is the inexperienced uh, Thierry Henry. He's got obviously a great playing pedigree. No one can ever doubt that, Jez, but it, it is a risk on Monaco's end, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it is. 
it, again, I think a lot of it depends on what direction Monaco are going or want to go into now in, in the future. Um, by all accounts, they they have been burnt a little bit by by this transfer window and have maybe decided to kind of rein in the, the whole sort of um, huge influx of young players and then try to sell them off as quickly as possible. Um, so possibly that change will, will suit Henri and um, certainly in, in, in the sense that they Monaco kind of like having um, attention on them. And they are a big club, but they don't have the 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 support of a team like PSG or Marseille. So, you know, one of the ways that they they, they manage to, to kind of stay in the sort of conversation of France's three or four big clubs is to is to kind of they've always had a reasonably good turnover of, of really big global stars. So Henri is certainly gonna gonna help them in that sense. Um and yeah it's it of course it's a big risk, but I think it's a, a reasonably calculated one. Um, you know, just intelligence or, or football general knowledge or whatever doesn't necessarily translate into into good management. But <laughs> you look at Henri's career, the way, the kind of player that he was, the um, the way that he obviously was a student of the game, his intelligence, both when he talked about the game and the way he played it, I think. The managers that he's played under, you know, Wenger and Guardiola are the, the obvious ones. Um, you know, you, you probably can't get much of a better um, kind of footballing education than that. Um, though he hasn't yet had a, a sort of frontline job, he's kind of built his way up in coaching, sort of helping out the youngsters at Arsenal and then obviously at, um, as the second assistant and then first assistant, whatever the difference is at Belgium. And, you know, all the Belgian players have generally spoken very highly of him. So I think he has sort of gone about it the right way. Um, possibly, Wenger was asked about it yesterday and it came out with some interesting quotes. So you know, a lot of players of that kind of calibre are intelligent and do know about the game. And then it's about other things. So, you know, you have to have a little bit of luck. You have to... Um, he said you have to know to, to make lots of sacrifices. So I think a lot of it is about only about what sacrifices he's willing to make. Possibly the main one is you know the best one in the world and you know, I'm truly one of his biggest fans. Um, you know, there clearly is a big ego there and I think as a coach you probably have to rein in that ego and, and take a back seat to your to to your star players, you know, the way that Zidane has done so well, I think. But I, I definitely think there's raw material there and, and there's no reason why he can't be a very good manager. And I think for him, Monaco is a reasonably good place. It's still a relatively big name, but certainly considering how the season has started, there may not be such a huge amount of pressure on him, apart from just the fact that there's a media player because it's Thierry Henry. Even long-term thinking, it's kind of, you know, he's been very um, kind of separated from France and the French media for so long. Um, partly kind of making his home in England and you know, the way that some people took that whole the whole handballs thing I think he did lose a bit of love for France and France lost a bit of love for him so I think there's a hell of a lot to gain for Ori obviously there's a bit to lose but I think overall I think it could be a, a very good move for, for both parties The problem I have with this one at least anyway um 
Richards is not. It's a lot of pressure on Ron Reed. Really. I know it's maybe not this year. His his job is to simply guide this team away from where it is at the moment and probably end in a Europa League spot unless he really hits a, a catches fire underneath him. So there's not an enormous amount of pressure on this season, but. Surely, heading into next season, they they have to be back in the Champions League. And you know, if he if he doesn't get off to the greatest start or anything like that, with him being an inexperienced manager, yes, he has the instant respect to the dressing room, I'm sure. And he he has seemed like a very intelligent um, footballer on uh, Monday Night Football on on uh, Sky Sports. But there's been plenty of people who seemed intelligent and not translated it into management, at least. Anyway, it's, it's a lot of pressure on him. Not maybe not now, so he's got the time to get his his feet under the table. But next season, it's it's going to be red hot that he's going to have to get this team uh, firing on all cylinders and back in the Champions League. Yes, yeah, that that is that is true. I think what we've got here, um, you know, I'm another one that believes this is this is a risk. There's no there's no argument I think about that. From Monaco, um, but I think what we've got here is a player who, as you say, will command respect to the dressing room. But with Monaco having so many youngsters in the team, I think the key that we've got is that we've reached that point, and it's going to make us all feel very old. Is that those youngsters? Who were they watching when they were growing up? Who were they idolizing? Who were they, you know, seeing video clips of? Who were they had you know, posters on the wall? Thierry Henry is going to be one of those players. We've we've reached that age where, you know, Thierry Henry will have been a you know, a player that the likes of William Goebbels, the likes of Sofiane Diop, you know, they'll have all watched him when they were kids. And they'd have all, you know, taken the ball out onto the street or in school or at their local clubs and tried to emulate him. There's a really good interview um, with with Wilson Isidore. So he's one of the youngsters that that Monaco bought from Rennes um, this summer. Um, and although he's not broken into the first team at Monaco so far, he is a, a very highly rated prospect. Um, hit hat trick actually for the the French under nineteen team um, over the course of the weekend. And he actually said, um, you know, the, one of the reasons that he came to Monaco was that. He knew that Thierry, this was before Thierry Henry was announced as, as the coach, was that he he saw that Thierry Henry had come through that club, had started his career with that club. And so thought, well, you know what, if, if they can do for Thierry, if they can do for me what they did for Thierry Henry, then I'm going to be a happy man. So you've got all these youngsters who are incredibly raw and have looked very inexperienced so far. What you're going to have now is they're going to be absolutely thrilled. They're going to be over the moon that they get to work with one of their heroes. Um, Henri himself has come out and said, you know, he's looking forward to working with with the young players. So all of a sudden, you're now going to have these youngsters who perhaps have just started to have their confidence waning by, you know, well, we're playing, but, you know, we are so inexperienced that it's not, it's not clicking, not working, results aren't going our way, teams in the bottom three. They're going to have that injection of excitement. They're going to have that injection of confidence. And I think we'll see a reaction from certainly from those younger players. So, yeah, it's probably not going to be enough to get Champions League. It might not even be enough to get European football this season. What you're going to have then is this time next year, all those players are going to have a year's experience under their belt. They're going to have had a year under their hero. Next season, then, they're going to be in such a better place. They're going to be in a position that we saw the kind of youngsters that Monaco were previously buying who were coming in, being dropped straight into the team, but could hit the ground running. These youngsters can't because they're just so young, just so inexperienced. <coughs> they're going to have that confidence boost of working under Henri. They're going to have the rest of this season's experience. So next season, 
I do think there's potential that Monaco can be back in the Champions League places. I think what's going to be interesting in the immediate short term with Henri's appointment is how those senior players take it. You know, how do you Glicks? How do you Falcows? You know, how do you Subasiches? How do Sidibe, I suppose you almost count as a, a senior player now with his age. How do they react? You know, are they going to be responsive to a player like Henri coming in and telling them, right, I want you to play like how I tell you you should be playing? You know, are they going to have their 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 noses put out of joint by that? Thinking, you know, who's this who's this managerial upstart? You know, I appreciate what he did for his career, but he doesn't know about managing. Um, it, it's whether it's how they react to that. Is it going to be that they can see Henri for the player that he is and the the sort of uh, level of experience that he brings, having been there, done that as a player, or will they think? I'm not having this this newbie coach telling me what to do. So I think that's going to be um, to be really interesting because certainly he needs to get a reaction, positive reaction from those senior players because they have been possibly the biggest reason why Monaco are, are where they are in the table at the moment because I think each and every one of those senior players has failed to deliver this season so far. Um, and it, it is a shame that it resulted in Jardine going. But with Henri now coming in, he needs to be working on them. It's great that he wants to work with the youngsters. He will get that experience, I'm sure of it. It's how he works with those senior players. What he needs to be doing, I think, is is picking up the phone. He's probably done it already, but picking up the phone and and talking to Zidane. You know what what was he doing? You know he joined. I know obviously he worked with with the with the uh, the, the reserves at Real Madrid. Um, but he came into the Real Madrid job, arguably probably the biggest job, one of the biggest jobs in world football. And he he managed to hit the ground running. League-wise wasn't the greatest, but three consecutive Champions Leagues. You know, it's it, it's almost not to that, perhaps that degree, but it's that kind of relationship that, that Henri, I think, will be needing to get from his squad. So I think if he's talking to Zidane and working, well, you know, how did you, tra- you, know, how did you translate from being this legend on the pitch to all of a sudden suit and tie in a dressing room, telling players what to do. How did that transition go? What worked, what didn't work? Um, so if he's got any sense, there's going to be interaction there. But it's it's certainly going to be interesting. Um, I think I'm going to hold back on whether it will be a successful one, but I can see why um, the Monaco board have gone for Henri. I think the reasons why they've gone for him perhaps at this moment in time, outweigh the reasons why you shouldn't have gone for him. And it's going to be certainly interesting to see how he ends up getting on. And we will get some well, answers, briefly at least anyway, to that pretty soon, at least on, on uh, Saturday in the multiplex against Strasbourg. It's an interesting start for the, the man with them on a good run of form, at least anyway. Uh, that's all that we have for this time. Um, thank you for to Jess rich and all of you listening at home do join us for the preview show it's back on thursday and the main show will be back at the same time same place next week abianto and goodbye